Let us start this afternoon with a little bit of sports trivia. Can you name that coach? He never had a losing season as a head coach in the NFL. His 9-1 and playoff record is called Astonishing. Inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame in 1971, he has been called the standard against which all coaches in the NFL are measured. This man began coaching in the NFL at the age of 46 after working as a high school Latin and chemistry teacher. In the span of eight years, his team won six divisional titles, five NFL championships, and Super Bowl I and II. 1997, the U.S. Postal Service issued a commemorative stamp honoring him as one of the greatest football coaches of all time. Can you name that coach? Vince Lombardi, that's right. Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers. Now, here's the real question that drives this illustration. What made Vince Lombardi one of the greatest coaches of all time? Well, they say it was his emphasis on the basics. Lombardi coached big, tough, professional football players, but he never let them forget the basics. He kept bringing them back to the basics. Once, after a particularly bad game, at the next practice session, Lombardi held up the pigskin and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And then he brought them back to the basics, drill upon drill. As we work our way through Second Timothy, in many ways, Paul is coaching Timothy in the basics. The fundamentals, the essentials for an an essential enduring ministry so that when the pressure rises, and it always will, when the pressure rises, Timothy can stand tough because he's got the fundamentals. He's got the basics. Now, in chapter 1, we have seen Paul give Timothy some tender encouragement and some tough exhortation, primarily focused upon his heart primarily focused in chapter 1 upon the inward disciplines. Then in chapter 2, the emphasis switches as he focuses more on Timothy's public or outward ministry. Today we're going to focus on chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. Would you please follow along in your Bible as I read 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 13. You therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, He does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. 
If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In this passage, Paul gives four commands for Timothy, four basics, four fundamentals. Those four commands are be strong, verse 1, entrust, verse 2, suffer hardship, verse 3, and remember, verse 8. They are commands for Timothy to have an effective and enduring ministry, and I firmly believe they are commands for every Christian to have an effective, enduring ministry. So how do we do that? Whether as a pastor, a missionary, a Sunday school teacher, doing one-on-one discipleship, these things apply for all of us. Now, the first one is the most general. I call it the dynamic for ministry. As verse 1 says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That word, be strong, in the original language is endunamu, which at its root is almost exactly our word dynamo, dynamic. It is a command, but interestingly enough, it's also a passive verb. Now, that's a tension. A command is something we're supposed to do. But a passive verb means we receive the action. So there is a tension there. The dynamic of the Christian ministry is this. The strength doesn't come from yourself, but from the grace of God. The strength does not come from yourself, but from the grace of God. Now, that's easy to say, but it is very hard to practice. Did you also notice the word therefore near the start of the verse? What does it mean? What is the, what is the connection? What is the therefore? It could mean, therefore, because of the things that I have recently written in chapter 1, or it could mean by doing the things that I have written in chapter 1. And in this context, the the second explanation is the more likely, probably the best way to understand it. Fan the flame, and therefore be strengthened by the grace of God. That's chapter 1, verse 6. Don't be ashamed of the gospel and therefore be strengthened by the grace of God. Chapter 1, verse 8. Hold fast to the standard of sound teaching. Chapter 1, verse 13. And therefore be strengthened by the grace of God. Guard the treasure of the gospel and therefore be strengthened by the grace of God. Chapter 1, verse 14. As we practice these Inner disciplines in chapter 1, meaning follow the examples, we will be strengthened in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this first command serves to summarize all of chapter 1. This command is also in the present tense, which means continually or keep on being strengthened. None of us has arrived. None of us has built up enough spiritual muscle that we can now relax and occasionally flex our biceps to impress people. D.L. Moody once said it this way, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough today to last him for the next six months. Nor can he inhale sufficient air into his lungs with one breath to sustain life for a week to come. We must draw upon God's store of grace from day to day as we need it. Be strengthened by and in the grace of God day by day. The first basic principle for ministry is that the strength must come from
from God. And as we will see, especially in the third command, the ministry can be very exhausting, very demanding. We need the strength from God. Now, the second command concerns the deposit. Pass it on. Pass along the deposit, as verse 2 says. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of of many witnesses entrust or deposit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, by the way, when this verse says men, it's the generic word for humanity, anthropos. And while we believe as a church that men and women have complementary roles, according to the Bible, this particular verse is speaking about all people. When it says men, it means all people, not just males. The command deposit is the same word that Paul has already used twice in verses 12 and 14, deposit or entrust. Look back at verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. For I know whom I have believed and convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted or deposited to him until that day. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have deposited your very life in trust with Jesus until that day when he comes again and he's going to guard it. He's going to keep it, protect it. Chapter 1, verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit the treasure which has been entrusted or deposited to you. And so we have kind of a back and forth picture here. I have entrusted Jesus Christ with my life and he has then given me the trust of the gospel. And now chapter 2 verse 2, we are to take what we have been trusted and pass it Along The things that have been entrusted to you, place them on deposit with other people. Pay it forward. Pass it along. These people to whom we pass it along must have two qualities. First, they're faithful. Would you put your money on deposit in an unfaithful bank? I hope not. Would you make a loan to an irresponsible person? Probably not. We must continually seek faithful people to train and disciple in the things of God for ministry. Now, the second quality of these these people is that they'll be able to teach others also. And that way, this deposit will be passed on from generation to generation. You see four generations in chapter 2, verse 2. Paul, generation one, taught Timothy, generation two, who will pass it on to faithful men, generation three, who will pass it on to teach others, generation four. And the obvious implication is that they will keep on passing it on and on and on so that the gospel goes on for 2,000 or more years and 50 or 100 generations stretching from Paul right into Louisville, Kentucky today. We have the gospel because faithful men and women have passed it on generation to generation. And every church which names the name of Jesus Christ must continue to pass on the deposit to faithful people who will teach others also. Practical applications. Are you involved in discipleship? Perhaps one-on-one. Perhaps in a small group that, that together we build one another up and stimulate one another to love and good works in the knowledge of the gospel that we pass it on. Encourage and support others who believe. And if if God leads some of us here to the mission field, 
This is our basic marching order. Teach faithful men who will teach others also. You probably know that old Chinese proverb that says, give a man a fish and he will eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he will eat for a lifetime. Not only do we give people the gospel, we must teach them to pass it on. But what if you're not planning a life of full-time Christian service as a pastor or a ministry? I firmly believe this still applies to everyone. Be strong in the grace of God and then pass it along, perhaps one-on-one, perhaps as a Sunday school teacher, perhaps whatever you have been called to do as your ministry and your gifting in the church. I firmly believe that our work with LRI here and in the Philippines is an excellent example. Andy and Jake have just returned from an intensive season of teaching and training other men that they may be able to pass it along to others. That's exactly what LRI is about. This is a good standard by which we can also evaluate ministries and mission agencies and people who would ask for our support as a church. Are they passing along the faithful to the deposit to faithful people who will be able to teach others also? Oh, sure, they have some pretty literature. No, are they passing along the deposit? That's the standard. So, our marching orders for ministry. One, our strength must come from the grace of God, not from ourselves. Two, pass along the deposit. It has been given to you. Now you look for somebody to whom you can pass it along. The third basic command is about discipline. Do the disciplines. Verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The the command is suffer hardship. But the, the word suffering can bring up images of, say, pain. That's not what it is necessarily about. It's more about the suffering of discipline and hard work and commitment and endurance. Lauren Samney, the once, once president of the Navigators, spoke about the relationship in ministry between suffering and eventual success when he said this, if you are suffering without succeeding, someone will succeed after you. If you are succeeding without suffering, then someone suffered before you. Suffering is essential because ministry is hard. And Paul explains and illustrates what he means now with three examples, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And as I've suggested, the word discipline is a good summary of all these illustrations. It's not just about suffering in the sense of pain, experiencing pain. It's about the commitment and discipline required. First of all, like a soldier, verse 4. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that may he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You see, we begin to understand what suffer hardship means. It would be a poor soldier indeed who insisted that he must always sleep on a plush mattress, must always be in an air-conditioned room, must always be wearing clean, comfortable clothes, and must always be served steak and lobster for dinner. No. A soldier has to say goodbye to many of the the comforts and pleasures of everyday life in order to serve as a soldier. He endures hardship. 
and he does not entangle himself in the affairs. Literally, the word is the is pragmatics of everyday life. Now, entangles is a rather picturesque word. You can imagine a, a soldier being all tangled up in chains and ropes and cords and strings. How effective would that soldier be if he were all entangled up? Not at all. We have to not be tangled up by the things of everyday life in order to be an effective servant of Jesus Christ. Pastor Warren Wearsby tells a story about a Civil War soldier who also happened to be a watchmaker. One day the bugle sounded at the camp and the men were told to break camp. It's time to march out. I can't go now, the watchmaker said. I have 12 watches to repair. No. Soldiering comes first even before making a living, even before the pragmatics of everyday life. That's also hard to say, or easy to say, but is hard to practice that we put our obedience to Jesus Christ and our service to him before everything else, even making a living. Now, I believe, as I have said, that these principles apply to every Christian. But this can be particularly hard upon a full-time pastor and his family because the gospel ministry can be demanding and exhausting. And so another practical application of these verses is that the rest of us who are not in a full-time ministry have a responsibility to take care of our pastor, to take care of some of those pragmatics of everyday life because he's a full-time soldier. Timothy must emulate a soldier, and then the next is an athlete. A truly serious athlete trains full-time. To compete at an Olympic level, everything in life revolves around training. Verse 5. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. To enter the ancient Olympic Games, which are certainly in Paul's mind here as he's writing this illustration, the competitors had to swear before a statue of Zeus that they had been in strict training for a minimum of 10 months. That was one of the rules. If you hadn't been in strict training, you were not allowed to compete. And so the athlete must be in strict training. And then, of course, he must keep the rules all the way through. Do you remember the famous marathon runner Rosie Ruiz? Perhaps not, because she was famous for the wrong reasons. Rosie Ruiz finished first among the runners in the, the women's runners in the Boston Marathon of 1980. After the initial cheering and celebration, however, some things started to look suspicious. A doctor noticed that her knees were not as swollen as a marathon runners typically are at the end of the race. She didn't look as exhausted as the other top-conditioned runners. And so more investigation followed. Rosie Ruiz had not been seen at several checkpoints along the race. She'd only run one other marathon in her life, and she trained on an exercise bike. As the evidence came in, the conclusion was clear. Rosie Ruiz did not run the Boston Marathon. She took the subway instead. She was disqualified, of course, and stripped of the prize. There are no shortcuts to spirituality. There are no easy ways around the hard tasks of personal discipline and training. It takes hard work, study, prayer, teaching, and time. 
And so Paul says, you need to sacrifice like a soldier and train like an athlete, and then third, work like a farmer. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Now, that that anticipates the idea of a reward that is coming someday, receive his share of the crops, but the primary concept is still that of hard work. Perhaps some of you were raised on farms or parents or grandparents work on farms, and you know what hard work is. Left to itself will a field sprout corn. Never, not once. Weeds, thorns, and thistles. Will big, ripe, juicy tomatoes grow if you just throw some seeds out on the ground and leave them? Not at all. The successful farmer has to work hard. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says, The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. It's a basic principle of life. Hard work is necessary for success and all much more so for a servant of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to suffer hardship. Not about pain itself, but about sacrifice like a soldier, commitment like an athlete, and hard work like a farmer. And so I ask you, and in doing I ask myself as well, what image describes your Christian life? A soldier? An athlete? A farmer? Or would you have to say more honestly, I'm a man or woman of leisure? Something to consider. Verse 7 concludes this section. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He, he's, he's sort of, this is a bookend on that, that command to suffer hardship. Stop. Ponder it. Think about it. And the Lord will give you understanding of the necessity of this. So we've seen the dynamic of Christian ministry. We must be strengthened. Not by our own strength, but by the strength that comes in the grace of God. Then the deposit. Pass it along to faithful people who will teach others also. And then third, there is no substitute for discipline. For sacrifice like a soldier. For training like an athlete. For hard work like a farmer. Now, the fourth command is deliberate. Or remember. Think about it. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. One of God's favorite words in the Old Testament is remember. It's there all over the place. Remember the Passover. Remember the Red Sea and how God parted the waters. Remember the manna in the wilderness. Remember the water from the rock. But I tell you now something greater than Moses is here. The Lord Jesus Christ is here. And the New Testament fulfillment of all those commands to remember is seen in remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. And in the next five verses, or the, the, yes, five verses call Timothy and they call us to remember, to deliberate, to think upon the things of God. And, and this is also in the present tense, which means we, we keep on remembering. We keep bringing our minds back to these thoughts. Uh, The things that we think about will very often motivate what we do. So keep thinking about and remembering these things. And, And Paul gives Timothy five things to remember 
to deliberate, to think about. Think about Jesus Christ, verse 8. Think about Paul and his example of suffering, verse 9. Think about the power of God, verse 9. Think about the people of God, verse 10. And think about the promises of God, verses 11 to 13. So let's briefly also think about these five things. First of all, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David. Paul here emphasizes two fundamental things about Jesus. The first is he is risen. We say it on Easter Sunday, what? He is risen indeed. We need to be saying that at least to ourselves every day. He is risen indeed. I serve a risen Savior. And second, he's the seed of David, which refers to his humanity. He's completely God, and yet he's fully human. God became a man, and he dwelt among us. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Without the incarnation, there can be no cross. And so remember that he became one of us in order to take all of our sins upon himself on the cross. Remember Jesus. Remember the gospel. Remember what he has done. And then second, Paul says, think about Paul. Verse nine, for which, for which gospel, I suffer hardship even to the imprisonment of a criminal. What sort of hardship is he thinking about? Second Corinthians 11, verse 24 and following. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been in frequent journeys, dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Why? Because he thinks of the gospel. He remembers the gospel. For which gospel I also hardship, suffer hardship even as a criminal. Now, I don't think that Paul is saying that he is the only or even the best example. He's telling us why he suffers hardship that we may think of any People, any people in the Bible or in Christian history who have suffered hardship for the sake of the glory of God. They threw Joseph into Pharaoh's prison. They threw Daniel into the lion's den. And on and on it goes. And there are many others who have suffered hardship. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of the glory of God. And then verse 9 continues. For the word of God is not bound. Is not chained. Paul is in chains at this point in his life. When he spoke of being entangled, he certainly knew what that meant. But the word of God is never chained. And so the the clear lesson from all martyrs and all who have suffered for Christ throughout the ages is this. You can put the word of God, you can put the people of God into prison. 
but you can't put the Word of God in the prison. The Word of God is not chained. They threw Daniel into that lion's den, but God by his power shut the mouths of the lion. They threw Joseph into Pharaoh's prison, but God was with him. You can chain up the people of God, but you can never chain up the power of God. God's word and God's power is never chained. And as we think about that, it helps us to endure and be strong. Fourth thing to remember, Paul says, verse 10, for this reason I endure. See that key word, endure? Why am I doing this? All things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Paul is willing to endure to suffer these things for the sake of the chosen, the sake of the people of God, the people in Ephesus, the people in Corinth, the people in Rome, the people in Louisville, Kentucky. He's willing to do it that people may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal salvation, and with it, eternal glory. The fifth thing that Timothy is to deliberate on, think about, ponder, is the promises of God. They are in verses 11 to 13. It's a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, so he, for he cannot deny himself. There are two positive promises and two negative promises. The, the first two lines, of course, are the positive. If we died with him, can refer to physical death, but probably even more than that, dying to ourselves. Suffering, saying, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Taking up my cross daily and following him is dying to self. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. When we die to the comforts and cares and pragmatics of everyday life, so that these things no longer rule over us and control our lives, we shall live with Christ forever. You know, that line is perhaps the shortest gospel call from the Bible. Repent. Die to yourself. You shall live with Christ forever. No one does it perfectly. But that's our call. That's our commitment. The second promise parallels the first. If we endure, there's that key word, endure, suffer hardship, keep going in difficult times, we shall also reign. See, Excuse me. Not only does Jesus Christ promise us eternal life, he also promises that we will reign with him for all eternity. Revelation 2.26, Jesus is speaking and he says this, He who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. You know, sometimes when we think about Jesus coming again, that he will rule over the nations with a rod of iron, well, guess what? It's not just Jesus. We shall rule with him, in a sense, as his deputies over the nations. And Revelation 3.21, he says, To he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I promise you, 
eternal life will not be boring. And, and forgive me, but I, I have always disliked this, you know, eternal life, we're all going to be sitting on clouds strumming harps. To me, that sounds really boring. Okay? No. We are going to be sitting with Jesus Christ on his throne, reigning with him through all eternity. One of my pet personal theories, I can't back it up entirely with scripture, but one of my pet personal theories as to why the universe is so big is we are going to get to spend all eternity bringing it into submission in the glory of God for Jesus Christ, the entire universe. We will reign for all eternity. The next two lines call us to endure and to remain faithful, and they express the concept negatively. Verse 12, the second half. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Jesus said it to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. For those who remain in a state of unbelief, for those who refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, for those who deny the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done, he will deny them. He will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. The next line is a little more difficult. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The word faithless there is, again, one of those present tense words, and so it speaks of an ongoing or continual state of unbelief. Paul is not saying here that a moment of doubt will cause you to lose your salvation. Not at all. We experience those from time to time. But it is a strong warning to those who refuse to believe. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Well, what does that mean? Faithful to what? He remains faithful to his word. If he were to save the unbelieving, he would deny himself. He would deny his words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He would deny his own death on the cross if he were to save the unbelieving. And so there are two wonderful lines of promise. We shall live with him. We shall reign with him for all eternity. There are two lines of warning. He'll deny us. He cannot deny himself. And so what is Timothy to remember? Remember Jesus, risen from the dead. He's risen indeed. Remember Paul and all who suffer hardship for Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Remember the power of God as the word of God is not chained. Remember the people of God. He endures all things for the sake of the chosen. Remember the promises of God. We shall reign with him for all eternity. What are the basics of Christian ministry? There's the dynamics. Strength comes not from ourselves, but from the grace of God. The deposit. Pass along what has been deposited or entrusted to you to faithful people. The discipline. Sacrifice like a soldier. Train like an athlete. Work hard like a farmer. The deliberation. Remember these things. It's time for some personal reflection. Where do you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ? Could you honestly say, I serve like a soldier? I train like an athlete? I work hard like a farmer? 
Are you part of a small group for mutual encouragement and discipleship? Are you passing along to one or two other people? Those are practical applications of these things. Or do you have to confess, you know, I'm not really there. I'm not even sure I believe. This passage, as I said, is one of the shortest gospel passages in the Bible. If we confess him, he will confess us. Is it time for you to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and begin to follow him? If so, after this service, the time that we have for fellowship, talk to me. Talk to Andy. Talk to one of us. Learn to follow Jesus.